purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 943thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Hi, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Friday, February 2nd edition. Is it a football Friday? There is no the, fo- the one you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, the one you refuse to acknowledge on this show. Oh, the Pro it, Bowl. That, that is yeah, it's, still around. Again, if the Pro Bowl is mentioned, I'm leaving the studio at, from this point forward. <laughs> All right, I won't mention the... Uh, what day is I that? Mean, is the, the big game? So the, big, the flag football game is Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Philip Pilkington is behind the glass. That is the voice of Joey Football, Joseph Sampson, Stephen Igo here. It's good to be back in the studio, boys. It feels say, like it's, it's been a while. It's since good I've been to see studio. you back. Flu game's over. Flu game's you know, over. Game six of the finals. Still have Jordan like, pushed off. I just can't get rid of like congestion. Is it? Is that just this time of year where it's yeah. like sticking around? Well, it doesn't help. Like the other three days ago, it was like seventy-two degrees. Yeah, and then it was thirty. I think a lot of it so. is allergies, just acting weird. I but, blame uh, Puxitani Phil. We got a fun show today, guys, because we're going to talk a little ECU here in segment one. We're going to preview ECU Charlotte. We'll uh, head to Charlotte tomorrow morning. Philip and I will. You will not be heading to Charlotte. I will not right? be in Charlotte, no. <laughs> Disappointing. Not a true pirate. Uh, <laughs> but not a surprise. He did say off the air earlier that is the best game involving two. Did North it? Did, teams, that is right? the best game in North Carolina tomorrow. I agree. I stand by that statement. 100%. It's going to be rocking inside Halton Arena. Are you ready, Philip, to hit the road? Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. I've never attended a road ECU basketball game of any kind. Of no kind. Wow, so you, yeah. you, you haven't even been to like UNCW or anything like that? No, I'm always stuck back in the studio. That's that great. is true. Uh, will we rush the court as a media gaggle if uh, if ECU beats Charlotte on the road? I think you have to. I want to, but I asked Patrick about that, and he's, if he would bail us out, and he said that we have to call Zoki. So if we call Zoki to bail us out of jail, because we'll get arrested because we're the away fans. Right, right. So as long as uh, let me text Zoke and see if he's going to bail us out of jail. If the he says yes, then then yes, we'll rush to court. If he says no, we got to start kind of going after some more people to bail if, us out. If needed, we will print the mugshot T-shirts to raise awareness and fundraising for your bail. Fair enough. We will sell them okay. with the HTC logo. I'm already on it. Let's do it. Call Dave Portnoy and the Storm Chasers. Get them. Figure it out. Pirates. We don't have a line yet for the game. They'll probably be pretty sizable underdogs of the Charlotte. Mm. Play some close games. We talked about it yesterday. They play like the fourth lowest pace in the country. They play the pack line defense. So it has a chance to be a very low-scoring game. And we know ECU struggles to score as it is. So here's my question <laughs> to you guys. Yeah. Will ECU crack 60 points? Long pause. Mm. <laughs> I mean, uh, you want me to run over the uh, I just, opposing points Charlotte has given up? There? Yeah, that's that's probably the best bet. Your first question is, is R.J. Felton going to get to shoot 24, 25 shots as far as possessions I go? I think he will. It's just a matter of will it go in. That's Yeah, but you're also going to be limited possessions because of their pace of play. So Charlotte mm. is allowing 64.7 points per game. Yeah, there it is. They give up 71 to Tulane, 70 to UAB, 44 to North Texas, which also plays Good one Lord. of the lowest scores, uh, lowest paces. That was 56-44. 44? <laughs> that was just that was a slog. Yeah, but fest. that was like watching Virginia play Virginia. Yeah. So. 
Uh, Rice, they gave up 79, but that was an OT. UTSA, which is scoring like 80 points a game, they held them to 58. Tulsa, they gave up 76. FAU, they gave up 68. SMU, they gave up 66. So they've actually given up some high totals. They've shown the ability to play both ways, but... That implies the other team scores. I know. In ECU, we has scored over 70 points one Once. time in conference play regulation. Yeah. So can they crack 60? And then the second time we played that team, we went to overtime. And barely scored seven. And barely scored seven. So my question is, how many points does ECU need to win? Oh. Well, first off... Along with getting over 60. Like, I think they have to get over 60. I think 65 yeah. is the threshold. I think if it's 65, you can win 65-63, given they're both defensive teams and, and how they play with length. That's the bare minimum. So first off, can ECU score 60? Yes. As long Will as they, they rebound with two hands and quit slapping to the ball and mm. limit the early turnovers that gets them out of their groove offensively. Yep. Secondly, the, I agree with Joe. 65, you can win the game. That's the bare minimum. I think mm-hmm. if you score 72 with the slower pace of play that they play, you do win the game. I think, I think score, 72 is a magic number. Yeah, I think if you score 72, you win by four. Yeah, I can get behind that. That's two baskets. I would say there's about a 3% chance ECU scores in the 70s. So you're telling me there's a chance. There is a chance. Three's a high number. Casey Romaley goes uh, 74-53 is his prediction. Charlotte winning on YouTube. I want the name of his dealer. Yeah. uh, He's going big for Charlotte. He'll be there. By the way, we got Mike Schwartz coming up. What was that push back to like 145? Yeah, 145. Have fun, you two. Boots on ground. We'll be there. Not a true pirate. Word on the street is they moved it back just so we could talk to them. Oh. And, uh. Hey, I am a true pirate. Here's, here's my legit excuse as to why I will not be there. Scooter called the women's game last night. We have to meet up with Darren at a certain time to give him the equipment before he does his high school game. So that's the reason Scooter and I can't go to the press conference. I think y'all should just meet at the press conference. I agree. That would. No, Darren's not even coming to the press conference. Oh. We have to meet Darren in Charlotte. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, at like 5 o'clock, so we got to go like right after the show. Good for him that he lined something up, Charlotte, to work in Charlotte. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So Charlotte 13-7. to 7. By the way, uh, we're going – I meant to preview it earlier, but we're going to have a fun show because we're going to <laughs> – A, I'm going to rank all eight moves in the NFL coaching carousel, and I really have no clue what I'm doing, so I'm going to have fun with that. And yeah, these guys our, will, uh, our will word comment. is gospel. Exactly. Everybody, we have no qualifications. We know nothing about coaching hires, so, so we'll give our stupid take. We're the end-all, be-all. And then we also are going to go down memory lane. Of course, Super Bowl Sunday coming up, not this weekend, next weekend. So I'm like, we're not. I don't want to preview the game yet. So we're going to go down memory lane, talk about our favorite Super Bowl memories and moments. We'll do that in our next segment. But uh, we'll talk ECU here this first segment. Again, Charlotte, ECU, 2 o'clock, tip-off time in Charlotte. Best game in North Carolina tomorrow. Best game in North Carolina tomorrow. What do, I'm glad that these two teams are in the same league, at least, Joe. Like, I feel like there's yeah. a purpose to this game, at least. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even in football, like, it was a miserable day for ECU fans, but it was miserable because it was Charlotte. Like, <laughs> like there's an actual – like, people know – Yeah, you, we know people that live in Charlotte. There's, we don't know anybody proximity. that lives in Tulsa and SMU – and pulls for those teams for the most part. I definitely don't know anybody who lives in Oklahoma. That sounds terrible. Uh, there's there's definitely proximity. Anytime you have a rivalry, you want proximity. That's why Boone is always such a great atmosphere for anybody to go to. That's why the Charlotte mid or neutral site game when we played them uh, for the opener was such a great crowd. It was 50-50s because there, there is proximity. You know, I know four or five guys 
at least who are on different Charlotte teams from high school around the area that, that went there for school. So there's proximity between NBA and players like that have come from that area. And then not a ton that have come from this side of the state, but are trending towards that direction. Some guys who have gone out of Greenville are starting to find that role. Brandon Johnson's a 919 kid. He'll know plenty of people who are from Charlotte or have been in that area before in the 704. So there's definitely proximity. There's a little bit of uh, talking. We'll, we'll leave the expletive out of that one, and it should be exciting. ECU Charlotte, 2 o'clock. Charlotte comes in on a seven-game winning streak. They rank third in the American in scoring defense, 29th in NCAA. They also are the best team in the league with assist-to-turnover ratio and converting at the foul line. So, again, they just do things. They win games. Ugly, gritty games, pretty, just gritty. I mean, they they just find ways to win. Seven wins in a row. ECU coming in off a disappointing loss to South Florida. So I don't know. I mean, this is a. I really wanted to go in on a three game winning streak, build the hype, but ECU just laid an egg Wednesday. I do feel like under Schwartz, guys, this team two and one in our last three. That is true, but it's just they can't win three in a row. Hey, but I do feel like under Schwartz, this team has shown the mm-hmm. propensity. Is that? Is that the right word to, you, to bounce back? You've got the degree over there in the writing. I don't. I might have to look me. that up. It sounds right. The propensity to bounce back from tough did losses. You, did you steal that from Ian Hutchinson? I did. Okay. Propensity. Definition. An inclination or natural tendency to behave in a particular way. I feel like that fits. So, yeah. The, that does. The propensity yeah, to bounce right. back from, like, poor showings. So, I feel like ECU I feel like ECU's going to play well Saturday. I don't know if they'll win. But I, I tell you what, Anson Belton Buckle Lock of the Week. I don't know what the line is. Give me the Pirates to cover, to cover. this game. Not, Not to right. win. To cover. But right. to cover. Okay. This is my belief in the Pirates. I don't know why I just did that, but it happened. I'm worried it's about organic. The, yeah, it's you know organic you gotta go with the organic. Sometimes I mean, you just get it. Usually when I do that, I misfire like crazy on my Anson Belton Buckle picks. Uh Jansen Kidd says Charlotte is not a rival yet. They want to think it is. I mean, what do we what do we think about this? I don't want to say things that get me kicked off. Okay, the air. so it's hard to it's hard to sit there and say they want to think it is when we're the team that lost in football and we're the team not favored in basketball. Thank you. Yeah, usually the team who wants it is the team who's the underdog and the top dog just goes, eh, that's little brother." Well, unfortunately, here in conference play, they beat us in soccer. Yeah. Then they beat us in the conference tournament in soccer. Then they beat us in football. We're, I don't remember what happened in volleyball. I think we're I know 0 I should. four or zero and five against them. We, in a while. Do we lose? In, do we lose in uh, volleyball too? I think we dropped one Chip in volleyball. Be, okay, I was about to say Chip Welsh will be mad at me for not knowing that. Sorry, Chip. And uh, hopefully Adler Augustine's not listening. I'll be in more trouble. But uh, yeah, and we lost in football. So the ref knows everyone. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking up the volleyball results now. He's going to check. It has not been a good run for East Carolina no. against Charlotte since Fighting the, the Niners entered the American. Let's see here. ECU did up. Oh, they Dr- swept yeah. Charlotte three nothing, and they lost the next day. Yeah, I, I knew so we, we dropped one. We split at one one. So, so we're one in five. Not good. One in five against the Forty Nine. One in four. One in four. Lost twice in soccer. Once in football. Once in. Soccer, four. Uh, volleyball. One and four. One and four. ECU owes them one, and they'll four play. Two. This is one of two. The regular season finale will be in Greenville, ECU, Charlotte, which I do like the American. They are finishing with that. I wish they would 
do it in football as well. Like the last game of the year, if you want to make it a rivalry, God, make good. it on rivalry weekend. That'd be good. Stop sending Tulsa to East Carolina. That's that's the way to do on it on rivalry weekend. Stop sending ECU to Temple on rivalry weekend. There's only one possible rivalry. So since Charlotte, I want to see East Carolina. I haven't at Charlotte Thanksgiving weekend. I didn't mind when we played Cincinnati though, with everything built up. Yeah, that that wasn't bad, especially when there were four. That was that was a cool rivalry weekend moment. This great atmosphere for post Thanksgiving. Usually, you just don't see that yeah. uh, atmosphere. So, ECU Charlotte. We'll see what happens. Um, by the way, speaking of Charlotte, the spring football game will be April thirteenth, and on that weekend, ECU will host Charlotte in baseball. There so, we go. I'm glad to see them coincide. That's building up home baseball weekend series with spring football game because that has been a misfire at times. Mike Houston needs to throw out the first pitch. That that day, get the boys fired up. What is the over under on the speed? If Mike Houston were to throw out the first, pitch? he fifty seven and a half miles. No, no, no. He's he throws some weight up in the weight room. I mean, y'all have seen him. That man's built like a brick house. I got to give him high sixties. I'm, I'm going to go like sixty five, sixty six. Okay. He's 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 he moves it now. But I feel like you get up on that mound and you're like, I don't want to overdo it. Because if you fire it and you spike it, then it's it's more embarrassing than just leaving it high. I don't know. Yeah, but I, he rises to the occasion. Okay. That's mental toughness. Mental fortitude, as he would say. So the spring football game is an 11 a.m. kickoff. So he should throw out the first pitch And then afterwards. the baseball, I think, is set for four. Yeah, right after. Should work. Get him right out there. Has Mike Houston thrown out a first pitch I don't, think, I don't so. think so. That's why I'm saying it. Yeah. I know to Keaton last year, I think Keaton did. We'll have to go through the archives. There's been a lot of people that have thrown up first pitches. Did Holton ever throw one out? Because that seems like a missed opportunity yeah, anyway. He needs to. If Mike Houston hasn't, he definitely needs to. Um, Coach Houston, I'm calling you out. I want to see it. Let's we'll see get it. you practicing. We'll get you in the cages. We'll warm you up. Got to throw out the first pitch. Joey Football will catch those. I will catch the ceremonial first pitch. Wear a cup, Joey Football. Don't need an injury like some other ECU hey, athletes. Real catchers don't wear cups. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. They do. They definitely work. They, they all after, it's like a rule. See what happened to Jacob Jenkins Coward last year. Uh, everybody needs to wear athletic a supporters. Uh, all right, so East Carolina again. Spring game April thirteenth. Spring practice will start the week of March eighteenth. I confirmed that, so it's actually a week after spring break. After they get back from spring break, usually it's, it's right after spring break. So get a little little rebuild. It'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm ready for spring practice, Joe. Like I feel like I'm most years. Up. There's things to talk about, but there's not a lot of like real big storylines. This year is the complete opposite. This this year there's four or five storylines within the offense alone. Never mind the newcomers on defense. I mean, I'm excited to see Day Day play some linebacker in the back half, considering just the production they had last year. How Lamp's going to fit into the new system as far as playing corner. I, I'm. How do you replace Julius Wood? That's always yeah. the it hasn't has, been talked about a lot. That's going to be so a big storyline anyway. You've got so many guys who are coming in. You've got new safeties the, coach in Magazoo. Magazoo, how is he going to have the ball hawks flying around? You've got so many new D linemen who've come in. How are they going to affect the pass rush? I'm excited. I'm very excited. Did you have a chance to watch the Caden Hauser interview from Tuesday? I did. If so, what did you think? I, I think Caden is exactly what people are looking for as far as a Pirates quarterback. He's very open. Uh, reminds me very much of how Holton kind of handled some of the things in the media. He's very public with it. He didn't try and shelter anything behind him. Uh, what really stood out to me was the comments when he talked about coming here and what he experienced on his visit and how the atmosphere kind of threw him in, and he just wants to play football. 
people have lost so many kind of foresights as far as football goes these days with the fundraising and NIL and is it for the dollar signs or is it for the love of the game and you can tell Caton loves this game you can tell that he's excited to come and play football in a town like Greenville there's nothing like it he said that himself and I think given the new system and what John David Baker's going to do with the mailmen as he refers to the quarterbacks I'm excited to see how Hauser fits in should be a fun spring Caton Hauser Jake Garcia will be an interesting uh, quarterback Jake competition Garcia. we'll uh, have that for you all spring long, and Joe will be with us throughout the spring as well, talking football and other sports Confirm. every Friday. Confirm. We're going to do that, uh, so we'll keep it rolling. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We're going to go through our favorite Super Bowl moments, memories, good and bad. We'll talk about that. We'll hit on our favorite teams of Super Bowl memories. I don't know if Joe has any because his team has not made it in his lifetime, so we'll discuss that. And more. Should have been in twice, but that's another fight. Hoist the colors on a Friday. We'll be right back. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Friday. We just talked ECU Charlotte. Talked a little bit of spring football. So if you like ECU stuff, replay that segment. <laughs> We're going to move on. And, uh, it, it only gets worse from here. Yeah, ECU baseball, uh, we'll have plenty of that talk coming up. By the way, Monday we'll be joined by uh, Cam Clotch and Jacob Starlin. And we'll also start, Patrick Johnson and I will start our weekly interviews with Cliff Goblin. So if you're ready for ECU baseball. Cliff Ball. Cliff Ball Time begins for Cliff Ball. Monday. Uh, again, fired Patrick up. Johnson and I will be doing that this year. So fired up for that. All right, boys. We're going to talk Super Bowl moments this segment. We're going to talk coaching carousel. And then in segment four, maybe the shortest segment ever, but you guys are going to come up with something to talk about. Don't you worry. We've got it. <laughs> so Philip and Joe are working on that pre-show. We'll see what they have in store if we have time. Uh, all right, guys, Super Bowl coming up. Let's go around the horn here. We'll start with our favorite Super Bowl moments. And unfortunately, only one of our favorite teams has won a Super Bowl in our lifetimes. And that would be the glorious Denver Broncos, who had some of the worst Super Bowl performances before I became a fan outside of the Seahawks Super Bowl, which was my worst Super Bowl moment ever, hosting a party and watching that. But uh, favorite Super Bowl moment, honestly, the reason I'm a Broncos fan, John Elway, helicopter spin (laughs) when they beat the Packers in Super Bowl 32, I believe it was. 32 is 97. He doesn't even know the number. Yes, it was 32. Not a real fan. 33, they beat the Falcons. Not a real Bronco. (laughs) Not a real Bronco. Not a a true Bronco. I'm too old, man. I'm like, I should know this. Not a true Bronco. Uh, When he did that spin, I was five years old, guys. That's why I became a Broncos fan. I was watching that game. I was like, first off, I like their uniforms. Second off, I like John Elway. And that was the reason I became a Denver Broncos fan. And little did I know they would win it again the next year. And then they would suck. So what we're hearing is the origin of his fandom was bandwagoning. A hundred percent. But I was five, so it was like I didn't have a team. People are talking. And then I stuck with them and actually got into them during the Brian Greasy years, and they were terrible. So how how'd Seattle come about now? This, this is this Seattle is Mariners was the same way. I watched King Griffey Jr. on TV. I was like, he's really cool. Go Mariners! Wow. And then I there you go. That was definitely not a bandwagon. Deeply entrenched. Suck. They were not good at baseball. Uh, so there's my favorite Super Bowl moments, uh, along with winning Super Bowl 50. Just Von Miller taking over that game. All right, Joe, what do you got? 
Uh, it's probably tied for two. The San Antonio Holmes catch in the corner against the Cardinals. That that one lives forever. I mean, it was a cover of Madden. I think it was uh, 2011, I think. It's him on the menu screen with him like doing the toe tap. That was insane. And then he just kept doing it, tightrope after tightrope. Or the David Tyree helmet catch. Yeah. That one lives forever. I mean, there were so many jokes about like somebody sticking a piece of gum on the helmet on SNL or... Uh, were they tacking the ball? I mean, was Stickham still legal? And that's that's just an iconic moment that I think Tom Brady will live with forever. What do you got, Philip? So my first kind of favorite one was, this is away from the game, was at five years old getting to put up all the posters in my house waiting for the Panthers to play the Patriots. That's we had cool. Yeah, we had yeah. the cutout of the paper from when they that's beat the cool. Eagles two weeks before and all that, and all the family coming over. Every time we'd score, my uncle would pick me up and we'd, he'd run around the living room. So that was my favorite, you know, kind of sentimental personal moment in the Super Bowl. <laughs> favorite one as a fan, considering my team is 0-2, it was watching the team I hate lose the most. 28 to 3, baby. I wish I could get some dirty birds on the camera, but I I don't want to get in trouble. So 28 to 3. I know the whole world was pulling for the Falcons except for Patriot fans. We were at a party. Everybody there was pulling for Atlanta. There was one lady who was a Patriot fan, and then my family being Panther fans pulling for. We're not really pulling for the Patriots much as pulling against, against the, Falcons. the Falcons. And we like dogpiled in the middle of the living room when they scored in overtime. So Falcons stink, baby. Let's go. That's fair. I I just I, I listen. Listen, I'm the only fan sitting up here who's never lost the Super Bowl. That is true. So you don't have that pain. There yeah, is nope. no pain, man, like losing the Super Bowl. And honestly, I cannot even fathom Losing the Super Bowl in that fashion, like I, uh, I could never get over it. When I watched Aaron Rodgers' Achilles blow up on national television, that was that was pretty close. But it's just, I mean, it was painful, I'm sure. But like going through a whole season, and then like you get to the pinnacle, and then to come up short, like when the Broncos got killed by the Seahawks, I'd accept it about halftime. That, See, that's the thing you that would accept it. Yeah, that that was the highlight of my season. I was excited. Nine eleven. He's running out with the flag. What it means for the city of New York, and it just blew up. So like I, there is no oh well the off season is going to hurt that yeah. whole as a that Jets fan season, the, the off season is the pinnacle that whole season <laughs> was despair but See, I, I understand what you're saying I go at least like I mean I know it stings to get blown out but like all y'all Super Bowl losses have been blowouts yeah. like thing is with us like back and forth game in thirty eight. Vinatieri takes the lead with three seconds to go. Rod Smart catches the kickoff and doesn't even attempt to lateral. He just gets tackled like it's any other kickoff, and then Super Bowl fifty. 50. My team doesn't even attempt to show up for the game and still somehow, like, it was relatively close in the fourth they quarter. They had a shot the whole game. They yeah, they had a shot game. the whole game. And then just, like, time and time again, like, I don't even feel like Denver made that many plays as much as just Carolina made no plays. Like, yeah. you guys made the plays when it mattered, I guess, but, like, still, like, most of the thing was, like, yeah, Von Miller strip sack, but Mike Rimmer just, like, well, like, Mike Rimmer just, like, whiffed, like, Vaughn didn't make a phenomenal move. I mean, credit, he took what Carolina gave him, but, like, Rimmer blew that. And then the other one, like, Cam not diving on the fumble. Like, if you dive on that fumble and you get a concussion, I would rather have Derek Anderson and the ball than Denver having the ball. Derek Anderson is at least a serviceable backup, and you can't score if you don't have the ball, unless it's a safety. But we were on the 20-yard line. That was 80 yards from a safety, so we weren't going to score on a safety. Denver, the only way they were going to win that game is if they scored defensively, which yep. they did like right away. Carolina had not trailed the entire postseason, so they were like on their heels. Mm. So that was that was basically the game, the Von Miller strip sack, and the fact they didn't even 
they didn't chip. They didn't help out Mike Rimmers, which was terrible. When it's Mike Rimmers versus Von Miller in his prime. Rimmers wasn't bad that year, though. It's, it's still, not that he wasn't bad, Philip. Yeah. You have Von Miller, who was, I think, Depoy at that point, or in the he was conversation in, yeah, for in that, it. In that if it wasn't Super him, Super Bowl it was MVP. You're not looking at some run-of-the-mill edge rusher who, like, no disrespect to Rashawn Gary. He's incredible. But, like, Rashawn Gary's not a household name compared to what Von Miller was that year. Yeah, but How do you I, not slide protection? How do you not I agree, I agree. How do you not bring in uh, who was 80 for y'all that year, the tight end, uh, whoever he is? How do you not bring him in, chip protection, go to the flat, three-man concept on the backside, three-man crossers? Like, there were so many answers to the test, and your OC was just like, no. Be I mean, okay. I get what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing because that is the logical answer, but still, like, there's so many other things that we just did not execute. Yeah. That, like, even if you had done that, would it have ended up mattering? I mean, Cam didn't want to be there. Cam Newton, who all the Panther fans part. acted like was God, like, the way Cam, well, the way the Panther fans treated Cam was more than the way Cowboy fans treated Romo. <laughs> And just like the little crybaby he was and had been since the day we drafted him, when if Richardson went and ran his mouth in the offseason, we would have got Andrew Luck, which would have turned out totally different, I think, for both parties. Cam drops the ball, literally and figuratively, in the biggest moment, and then pouts about it and walks out of the postgame press conference. What a baby. Excuse what me. What a freaking Excuse baby. me. I want to see you, after playing in the biggest game of your life, coming off a 15-1 and season after winning the MVP, and you sit there and listen to the reporters of the game where you just got your heart ripped out at the pinnacle Maybe you should have of professional on the football. sports. You know, yeah, he didn't. Hey, <laughs> his, his, his heart didn't get ripped times. out. He ripped our hearts out by playing You're like a bum. That ball to and like, back no, up. he was horrible, man. That's He's such an arrogant jerk. Are the weirdest thing when it comes to bouncing off the ground. I know. Look, I get that. But look, you got to admit, Cam is so much about me. I remember there was one game that season where, you know, like the team will run out and then they'll introduce the starters, either offense or defense. And when it would be the defensive starters, he would still like wait till the rest of the team run out and still make his grand entrance, even if he wasn't being introduced. Like, it's about the logo on the side of your sleeve, not the name on the back of your jersey. Cam is a bum. He's a heck of an athlete. Athletic-wise, he's the great. He's the most talented quarterback to ever play the game, but he shouldn't even be in the Hall of Fame. There are 30 of them better than him because all he cared about was the name on the back of his jersey. He's a bum. He lost us the Super Bowl. It was not Mike Rimmer's fault. And no, This is supposed to be greatest Super Bowl moment. How do we get on this crap? Would you rather just sit there and have a Brock Purdy-esque quarterback who hides in the background and doesn't take control? Isn't the star? No, he's a franchise quarterback, Philip. You took him with the first overall pick. What were you I wanted Andrew Luck. Well, you were a year too early. No, our owner said that year all, too early. No, no, it was our owner's fault. He goes, all all the NFL players care about today is money. Back in my day, we played for the love of the game, which is true. Back but in you that don't day, say they that were smoking the very... cigarettes at halftime. Okay, we're not talking about job. Lynn Dawson. Uh, Lynn Dawson is, if you want to talk about Super Bowl four, which he did that in Super Bowl one, you want to talk, talk about, about favorite Super Bowl, Bowl moments, it's a total different Super Bowl. No, th- 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 Lynn Dawson did play in Super Bowl three. No, the Jets did. Move I know, but they, they, that's not the smoking cigarette thing. That, but the point is, if Richardson doesn't I make that comment, down. Luck comes out and he plays the Panthers and the story's different. No, he doesn't. All right. He the next day was the day he, did, <laughs> the he said he's returning for a senior. All right, this was the best Super Bowl moment. Like An- another right. one of my favorite Super Bowl moments. I always loved Matthew Stafford. I was happy to see him get a ring. I, I hated that he got wasted in Detroit. Yeah, okay. That's my one of my other favorite yeah, okay. Super Bowl moments. Matthew Stafford, baby. What about the uh, Super Bowl Fifty Six post game celebration? Didn't he like push some girl off a? No, I was at the uh, I was at the parade. Uh, and he was not in any position to help anybody. Yeah. 
right, back on track. Uh, speaking track? of Panthers Super Bowls, hopefully, hopefully this doesn't take Philip on another rail. But I just feel like Panthers Patriots. What was that Super Bowl thirty eight? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the most underrated Super Bowls of all time. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't get talked about enough in the the great Super Bowls. And I just remember Delhomme throwing bombs. Like the the pace of the game went from zero to a hundred, and it was crazy. Yeah, no, that definitely is because that game, the first twenty five minutes, there was no points, and you go to the halftime locker room in a fourteen ten game, third quarter kind of dry, and then fourth quarter it picked back up. And when you see usually a game that's twenty nine twenty nine with a few seconds to go, it's like either back and forth the whole game or it's one team was better in one half, another team was better in the second half, but it wasn't that way. It was a defensive slugfest followed by a five-minute shootout for another quarter of the defensive slugfest by a 15-minute shootout. Like, the game had everything you wanted. It had interceptions. It had Musa Muhammad having the longest touchdown reception in NFL history on Rodney Harrison, and that's why Rodney Harrison's still in Sunday Night Football. It never says anything good about the Panthers. But, you know, it was... That was a great game. Yeah, I cried. I cried and screamed, I hate you at the TV at Tom Brady, but I was only five years old. So, you know, I didn't have the cool story that I go had when he was five. But, yeah, that was a phenomenal game. Like, looking back, it truthfully was a top five, if not top ten, Super Bowl of all time. And we were talking before we were there, the Patriots, as much as we dislike them and the fact they were in so many Super Bowls, most of their Super Bowls had outstanding drama. The Seahawks game, obviously. Just hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch. What are we doing? I he, mean, he was recently in the crazy. media saying that he called Pete Carroll uh, a couple expletives because he was like, you just don't give me the ball in that situation. And they still like refused to yeah. talk about yeah. it. So hey, the Brady, though, other than his one with Tampa against KC, he never played a Super Bowl that was decided by two scores. The largest margin of victory or defeat was super, the one where they lost to the Eagles, 41-33. Everything yeah. else was a touchdown or less. So... I mean, now the first Patriots Super Bowl was horrible, but we weren't alive to watch the 85 Bears kick the crap out of the Pats. But And then the Bledsoe one I don't think was that close either before, but the Brady-era ones were always good. I'm glad you mentioned the San Antonio Holmes catch. I feel like that one, too, Cardinals. Maybe it's the fact it was the Cardinals, but that was just an insane no, game. I, I, it doesn't get talked about. James Harrison caught a pick on the three-yard line and ran it. 98 yards into the end zone. He still hasn't get, taken off the oxygen and he mask still hasn't, yeah, still hasn't taken the oxygen mask off. Here we are, two, 15 years later. They, they came out of that situation, and then they punted it back, and then the Steelers just looked like they were in control. The Cardinals came back. Larry Fitzgerald and Kurt Warner were in, in sync that year. Uh, I can't remember the running back for them off the top of my head, but he had a great game, too. He rushed for like 85 yards, all purpose. Was that Tim Hightower? It or might have been Tim else? Hightower. How, uh, how over y'all when... The Rams tackled the Titans at the one. Kevin Dyson. That Twinkle was, in my daddy's eye. Uh, One-year-old. That was a uh, was a great game. Great game. Crazy ending. You want to talk about painful. I can yeah. just remember watching that where I was watching it and remember him sticking the ball out. The great gateway to the West is now the great way to the best Ricky football Prol. team in America. Rookie, Ricky Prohl is very thankful for them not reaching for the goal line. So, uh, Any other games, guys? Y- y'all mentioned the uh, 28-3. Uh, quick story on that. So we, we had a big Super Bowl party at my house. There was one person. Everybody left at halftime or whenever you know the game was over. <laughs> there was one person who was like, I'm going to stick around because I think the Patriots have a shot to come back. That person, Josh Graham, was at the Super Bowl party. And uh, if you know Josh, like everybody was just kind of rolling their eyes. He was like, this one's not over quite yet. And uh, he was the only person that stayed till the end. It was me, my wife, and Josh Graham. What a trio, right? And uh, saw the the Patriots come back. Just 
painful. I had a gut feeling that night. I really didn't think. I didn't say it. I don't know. I was. I was like. I knew it wasn't over. Over. Like I didn't think they were going to come back. But it's like Brady's not just going to roll over and get slaughtered. Like this isn't going to be a 49ers over insert team other than the Bengals here type Super Bowl. Any others that we haven't mentioned that you guys feel like deserve um, mentioning? Honestly, I know this was prior to our lifetime, like any of our lifetimes, but I always thought it was cool in Super Bowl five to see Unitas get to win one. He had been so successful. He got hurt in 68. Earl Morrill comes in, loses to uh, Joey Football's Jets, and he didn't get to, he got to play at the very end of the game, but it was over at that point. And at the time, Johnny Unitas was the GOAT, and to see him get out there and win a Super Bowl, even though they turned it over eight times in that game, I just thought it was really cool to see at the time the greatest of all time get to finally win on the biggest stage in the world. All right, there's our favorite Super Bowl moments and memories. If we have any that pop up or you want to weigh in on the comments section, YouTube, Facebook, let us know. and We'll talk about them. Scooter says the light's going out in the Ravens 40 that, Yeah, that's yeah one. That, was a, that was a crazy. Devin Hester housing the first kickoff. Uh, and then Bears for them Bulls. to lose just the same way Ohio State did that earlier against uh, Florida, and they lost in the natty. Anyway, yeah. sorry we cut you off, I guess. No, nah. and then painful bills. Wide left. Losing on a kick. Wide right, but still. Yeah, sorry, Bills fans. It's tough. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk NFL coaching carousel. I'm going to rank all eight moves pretty blindly, and we'll uh, we'll give our take on it. On the other side, this is Hoist of Colors on a Friday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, back on Hoist the Colors. We're talking Panther quarterbacks during the break. Uh, one of my funniest all-time memories, I'm sure, not a funny m- memory for Philip, was Jake DeLome. What was it? NFC Wild Card when he like turned the ball over eight times against the Cardinals. You uh, it was game? a division round. Yeah, we were the two seed in '08, and uh, the Cardinals came in and uh, with Kurt Warner, and he threw five picks <laughs> on his birthday. We lost 33 to 13. Five picks. The Cardinals went on to uh, beat Mark Miller, who's on the, I don't know, he's in a different room now. Mark Miller's Eagles in the conference championship game, and then they lost to San Antonio Holmes two weeks after that. Yeah, that was a disappointing year for the Panthers. Disappointing finish. Um, all right. Yeah, especially when you're eight zero at home on the season, and then you they yeah. they got crushed, or they just threw up on themselves. I feel like they getting crushed. Most teams and. This goes back to any of them. When you look at the Super Bowl, it's always the team that had like a heartbreaking loss earlier in the year, find a way to bounce back. The teams that win too much or too often always seem to like. Run I, I guess take it. Yeah, they run yeah. out of gas, take yeah. it easy. They don't know how to play from behind. And that's a good point. The yeah. Panthers didn't have any bad losses there. We lost four road games. They were all just kind of like routinely like, mm-hmm. hey, they were a little better than us today. No, nothing losses. heartbroken. No like field yeah. goal at the end, two minute mm-hmm. drive. No adversity. Got to no. have adversity. All right. Coaching carousel, guys, speaking of adversity, each of these teams face some in 2023. Some more than others. That's why they've got new coaches. I'm going to rank them. Again, this is just my – I did this in like three minutes. Uh, this is my personal opinion. We can review the tape three years from now and just laugh at how bad this is. But uh, all right, eight moves total. My worst move of the offseason is the Tennessee Titans. A, firing Mike Vrabel, but then hiring Brian Callahan. You're hiring – Obviously, an offensive coach to replace a defensive coach, but I'm not a huge fan of hiring OCs who don't actually call plays. I know that there are examples that has worked out, but I'm not a fan of this move. And I think the Titans don't really have the personnel either to be that good offensively. So I don't know. We'll see with Will Levis, but thoughts on Calhan being my last. 
least pick? I, I, I wouldn't put him last, second to last, but I think there's a, a far, far worse move. There's a glaring oversight in the NFC East, and that is that Dan Quinn does not know how to win as a head coach. If you look at his record for five seasons with the Falcons, it was... Might have been might have been five hundred, and that's because Kyle Shanahan kept him in games. I think he was a much worse hire. I'd, Dan Quinn is like my the, next to last hire. Dan Quinn in, in my book was the last hire, the worst hire. And if you're a Commanders fan, you probably thought you had the Lions OC in the bag, and then to end up with Dan Quinn, <laughs> like that is the most Commanders thing ever. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Philip? Is Callahan or Quinn a worse hire? Uh. I'm going to go Quinn because we know he can't win. I guess Callahan could at least surprise us. He's never been a head coach before. So, All right, yeah. so those are my two least. I've got Gerard Mayo next. I know a lot of people in the industry are high on Gerard Mayo, but I don't know. Like, I just think the Patriots thing, I just I just don't buy it. Actually, I'd say like, this is the worst one. No, I don't think it's the worst I one. From what you hear, like, from people just working in the media up there and, and players that have been up there, they all like when he walks into a room, you know it. I just worry he's a leader of men. Can he lead a football team? He's never been a coordinator. He's never been in that situation. Obviously, we know Bill is notorious. He never named an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. But how much impact did he really have on a defense that was led by Bill Belichick and Steve Belichick and Matt Patricia at one point? And how much of that is going to be Gerard Mayo's footprint and how much of it is Bill's footprint is my concern. And put him second to last. Mayo, inside linebackers coach from 19 to 23, played for the Patriots from 2008 to 15. So he's only played that's, for the Patriots. He's only ever been in that building. He's only ever coached in that building. So I guess he's going to have to run it like Belichick because what other ways does he know? I mean, exactly. I don't know. At the end of the day, the Patriots don't have a quarterback. So like, Not yet. That's the, that's the question is can they get yep. a quarterback? Um, all right. I've got Dave Canales next. Actually – when they hired him to start with, I figured he'd be near the bottom of my list. But the more I, I look at this move, the more I like it. I think it is going to be boom or bust. But I, I'm, you know, this is my fifth hire out of eight. So I mean, really, consider what the Panthers' situation is from an ownership perspective, Philip. I feel like they did pretty good here. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, that's this is how you become successful nowadays. You hire the young, young up and up, up and coming, excuse me, head coach, and you hope you hit on them. A lot of times you don't. But the guys who've really taken the league by storm the last few years, if you look at the success with the exception of Andy Reid, who's a proven Hall of Famer, it's all been young guys whose career path looks a lot like Dave Canales's. So it'll be interesting to see, but you either just hit a walk-off grand slam or you ground it into a triple play. It's going to be one or the other. What, what did you think of his uh, introductory press conference? I, I felt like he kind of... Tried to oversell it a little bit, but I guess he's just trying to win the press conference. I don't know. What y'all think? I wasn't watching him. I was watching Dan Morgan. I, he Dan Morgan's crazy. had me ready to run through a wall when he was talking about it. He was like, nobody fears our logo. Nobody's scared to play in Bank of America. We need the dogs, like Jay Stewart used to say. I was like, okay. That's a guy who understands the mentality, knows that a football team is not just numbers and analytics. And then I I, I don't know if you caught this, Philip. When they asked Tepper, they're like, "Are you going to do any interviews today?" He like smiled and said, uh, "They don't let me make decisions anymore," or like they don't let me talk. I was like, "Okay, yeah, okay, Dan Morgan's yeah. not a puppet, but no, he's not. That means he'll be fired by June." Yeah, hundred percent. But then he's going to go get a job somewhere else and be extremely successful. Dan Morgan clearly still has the mindset he had as a player. I love it. That was the attitude it. he had in press conferences. Like when I was a kid, I loved Dan Morgan loved solely it. because he was a good player too. Mm. When he didn't have a concussion, which he always had. Well, him and Keekly both. Both yeah. of them just had butts. He's more of a what if than Keekly. Yeah, Keekly's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Next on my list, Raheem Morris. 
you know, he has been a head coach before, but it was a while ago. Which 20, I didn't know. 2009 to 2011, he went a combined 17 and 31 with the Bucks. He did have a 10 and 6 record in there. So he had two bad years, one good year. You know, that was just an okay Bucks team. Was he the interim when they fired uh, Quinn? He was the interim yeah, in Atlanta. That's what it was. Went four and seven, and then now is back. So, but he's he's kind of been one of those guys that everybody in the league feels like needs another shot. So I, I I feel like there's enough buzz out here, and I feel like the Falcons are in a good enough situation. This is actually a pretty good hire. I don't I, love it, but I don't hate it. I have, I have two questions to start with. One: At what age do we stop considering them the young up and comer? Because uh, <laughs> right. Dave Canales is forty-two years old. Raheem Morris is forty-seven. Like, where's the threshold? I think when you get to fifty, it, fifty, 50 become, you're no longer a yeah. young up and comer. Yeah, at that position, because like the the only guy that's ever really been hired like in his thirties is McVay. Well, Mike McDonald is thirty-six. Oh wow. Yeah, uh, O'Connell for the Vikings was thirty-seven, I think. When he was hired, oh, so and they're babies. I'm, other I'm wondering. I was just wondering, like, what level are we at? Mike McDaniel's is young too. I was just wondering where the threshold is. Um, this reminds me of Todd Bowles a lot. And yes, he was given the keys to the Ferrari after Bruce Arians won a Super Bowl as a head coach and moved to a different role. But it very much feels like Morris is kind of getting the second chance. He's getting the opportunity to go. Okay, I learned some things. I did some things different. Much like a former ECU head coach who's now starting to pick his coaching career back up, which is Scotty Moe. Scotty Moe's interviewed for a couple OC jobs this offseason. He's rebuilt that resume. So I feel very good about what people talk about in the media with how he's handled things in the building, with how he's handled players, the interactions. They loved him when he was the interim. They hated to see him go, and the Rams spoke very highly of him when he left. Next on my list, Antonio Pierce retained by the Raiders after being the interim. I mean, he did really well, guys, with the Raiders on the stretch. And so I feel like... The players coach, it just seems like a solid move. And, and finally, the Raiders actually may have gotten one right. Mm-hmm. He, he was so fun to watch with the Giants all those years when he played linebacker. He was just an unbelievable player. And to see him have success now, I mean, beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead on Christmas. That That's not an easy thing to do. You have seen firsthand what he can do in the West. Just It's nice to see that they didn't try and look outside and reinvent the wheel. They knew what they had, and they kept him. Mike yeah, McDaniel. Smart. It just, I'm sorry, but no, just no. yeah, the, those guys wanted to play for him. The he was a play, the player was Oakland. going. The players were going to riot if they didn't hire him, and that yeah. says a lot. And he was a Raider. Like he was like, I grew up this black and silver. Like this is this is my team, which I love. Mike McDonald, second on my list. Ravens, DC. A little bit of an unknown uh, quantity from the fact he's never been a head coach, and he is very young. He is 36, but. I don't know. I feel like the Seahawks are just a smart organization, and I feel like this is going to work. Yeah. I don't really have a huge basis for it. I just like it. Aren't many moves the Seahawks have made as far as coaching or, or personnel like that that haven't worked out? I mean, I can't think of the last time a, a big-time coach for the Seahawks, whether it was coordinator or, or head coach, was fired. Obviously, like, Carroll stepped away. But even when they brought in Carroll, people were like, wow, what a great move. Players coach knows what they have. They built the Legion of Boom. Their D.C. went on to several other jobs. I don't know if he got a head coaching gig, but... It just feels like a Seahawks safe move. Half the age of your current coach, but still the same intangibles. All right, and then first, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it's look. I mean, he's he's weird, but he wins, and he looks really weird in L.A. Charger gear, and I hate <laughs> it because as a Broncos fan, the division got stronger, but I think he's going to win because he's Jim Harbaugh. You not buying it? I I've had this conversation with a lot of people, and they tell me I'm crazy the same way. I'm just. I'm not there yet. I need to see him do more. He's had two very good seasons as far as making an NFC title game and then obviously we know the iconic Crabtree rant. He went to the Super Bowl, lost to his brother. We all know the emotions behind that. But he's never 
picked himself back up. He's always had those entities where he's been at the top. I mean, Michigan was the only real one where he built himself back up. They went nine years there, and they finally beat Ohio State in the last three, won a national title last year. But how much of that is him building it up, and how much of that was the other coaches and Jerome Moore and the strength coaches taking with him now? How will that translate to the NFL? I, I don't know if I buy the new age NFL buying into Harbaugh, but we'll see if I eat I'm optimistic words. solely because when he was trying to build himself back up in San Francisco, he got fired for political reasons. That's I mean, It was not his fault. I mean, say what you want to say whether you like Kaepernick or not, but Kaepernick got him fired. It was the same thing that happened with Van Gundy and Dwight Howard. He got him fired. It has been 10 years since he coached in the NFL, so it is a different game. We'll see how it plays out. All right. Let's get a break in. We've got one segment left. It's going to be as short as possible. This was done by design because I have no clue what Philip and Joe have planned. We'll be back. They'll help me wrap up the show after this. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Got about two minutes left. Hoist the colors is segment four. That means Joe Sampson and Philip Pilkington oh, are boy. going to take it home. I don't know what they have planned, so let's do it, boys. Hey, Philip, you heard of a sport called car jitsu? I have now. No, that's right, because car jitsu is exactly what it sounds like. It's a jujitsu match inside of a parked car. There's no striking, there are no blows. You can use anything in the car to your advantage, including pinning somebody to a seatbelt or fighting them with the dashboard. I go, it's the newest sensation sweeping the sports nation. The combat sport really kicked off in Russia. Anything that comes from Russia as far as a combat sport, I think like Rocky Four kicking the trees until their shins bleed so they become stronger. The KGB creating genetically modified car jitsu fighters. It just gets me fired up. So, Philip, you're probably wondering to yourself, how was this even invented? Well, his original idea was a setting that allowed participation from the environment. And instead, he developed car jitsu, which... I personally think could be the most interesting sport coming out this season. Car Jitsu. So where can we watch this? You can watch it on YouTube on CarJitsu.com. The CarJitsu World Championships were actually two months ago. And yes, that's exactly how it sounds. Uh, v, v Jung K, I think it is. V okay. Jung K. V Jung K. V Jung K. Have you actually watched this? Yes. And you oh, We were watching it, it when you I, walked it's in. It's so fun. It, you, you have to start buckled up. You unbuckle yourself. You have to unbuckle. And like, so you can it's almost, you're like a gunslinger. This, you don't want to like. You're like no, we will show you. We will show you. You got to like pin the other guy's seatbelt so he can't get it off. So you're like pinning him to try and get him to tap out. It, it's a combat sport. It's a full combat sport inside of a parked car. I go when you okay, texted so out the list of segments today and you put segment four whatever. You knew something stupid was coming. You, you, I did expect car jitsu. Yeah, you were expecting hillbilly hand fishing. That's that's going to be next week, apparently. Well, I'll tell you no, what, next we'll, week I'll have extreme ironing or like extreme curling. I'll we'll, find something. We'll let you all do this. I'll keep the segments as short as possible so we don't lose too many audience members. But I enjoyed it. Karjitsu. Karjitsu. Look it up. Uh, hey, two weeks it. from now, we know over. what it is, though, Joe. It's the Daytona 500. For Dogs, the last oh, God. I'll tell you what. I, I, I was, once, once March Madness is over, that's the Masters. I'm a big exactly. Daytona guy. I do it's love the Daytona. one race I'll watch. So we'll, I'll talk Daytona with you all. All right. Legendary. Sweet. All right. got to get out of here. Fun show. Really appreciate Joe and Philip on this Friday. Also, thanks to Scott Rogers for being our live studio audience as well. We'll be back Monday with Cam Clonch and Jacob Starlin. We'll see you then. Talking ECU baseball. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for.